Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Here we are, session three. We're going to combine session three and four together, and so we're going to talk quickly through session three on pastoring women through the pulpit. And then we're going to look at manly endurance in season and out of season through Jeremiah and Nehemiah. And so we're just going to power right through and I'm going to kind of consolidate as much as I can. And hopefully you guys will be able to, I think we'll all be able to keep up. I'll make it as hopefully clear and concise as I can. But again, let's, gonna, let's ask for the Lord's help because we need it and uh, trust that he's going to give it. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time. And as we're getting ready to close everything out from this trip, we ask that you would give us attentive minds and open hearts and open ears to hear what you have to say to us in your word. And uh, I pray that you'd help me to encourage these men to pastor women through preaching. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Feminism is satanic. It truly is. It's just satanic. It's not from God. It's, it's not good. In so much as we get rid of the mistreatment of women biblically, that is a good thing. That's a really good thing. But feminism has overblown what it means to be a woman to really negative degree, to, as we've already talked about, blurring the lines of what a woman is and, who, and what a woman does, and then how to properly treat a woman to where in the overblown feminism of the day to open a door for a woman is dishonoring. Okay, what uh, Grey's Anatomy really showed the paradox of this years ago. One of the only good things I ever take, took away from Grey's Anatomy. Uh, there was a really liberal, really liberal doctor. She got an abortion and it was kind of celebrated on the show. And I forget her name. Uh, it's been so many years ago. But there was a scene where there was a trauma patient that was coming in the ER. And it was a, it was a girl who had been shot. And come to find out, you know, the story unfolds. And it was the woman that was in front of the man. The, the man jumped behind the woman. And this really liberal doctor comes up to this man and says, what kind of man are you? And what she didn't see and what the writers of that show didn't see is that that is perfectly consistent with their just philosophy of life. Feminism should celebrate such a thing. But innate, in, just innate in humanity, in mankind, is this understanding that a man is a protector of a woman. He should have jumped in front of her. And even this wildly liberal feminist woman in the show recognized that. And so she shamed that man. You should have done this. That's what men do. In reality, if she was consistent with her worldview, she should say, finally, a woman is taking bullets for men. Okay, now that has continued to grow and grow and grow to where that's actually happening. But feminism in and of itself is an absolutely just an outworking of Eden. It's a celebration of Eden and it's a promotion of Eden. Yes, God does not know best for you. You find your own way. Your way is better. Uh, Eve was the first woman to fall prey, and then her daughters have been declaring, I know better than God, and preachers have been telling their daughters, telling Eve's daughters that they know better than God for years and years and years. Um, so for decades, women have not actually been preached to as women. They've just been preached to as just a blah and asexual. We've been preaching to a gen genderless congregations for years and years and years. Um, and so therefore, the words that God says to women, when God actually speaks, some of the passages we talked about in the very first, when God actually speaks, a woman's ears have been tuned to turn off to such things, to where it sounds wrong and even it sounds demeaning 
to their ears to where I know better. I know better. We, we're beyond that. We're beyond that, God. And so that's kind of the way that women have been preached to from the pulpit. And I say discipling women from the pulpit because, to reiterate, we're not going to be doing one-on-one discipleship with women. We shouldn't be. We want to encourage our wives to do that and the older women to do that. The way we're going to disciple the women of our church is not through friendship with them. We have friends that are ladies at our church, but friends that are wives of my friends. So Tyler's wife, Mallory, Ryan's wife, Tara, Andy's wife, Kathy, I'm friends with them, but I'm not texting buddies with them. I'm not going to do discipleship. I'm not asking them to come over and fish with me, okay? That's, that's for older women. Women are going to be discipling women. The way I'm going to disciple the wives, the women in our church, is going to be through, through preaching. That's, that preaching is, is discipleship for your people, for both men and women. But here's one thing that ladies need. They need this loud and clear, just like the men. They need the gospel of Jesus, the law and the gospel, okay? God is holy. We have violated his law. We have sinned against him. And we need to know that Jesus has come to live the perfect life, die in the place of sinners, and raise from the grave. So we know, uh, I think we know as men, I have masculine sins. So the two that are always talked about in masculine, with, with masculinity, uh, Adam was with her, with Eve. We're, we're able to speak to masculine sins. So what was Adam's sin? Passivity. Passivity. So that's the big category sin. So men are typically either passive or What's this? Or wrongly aggressive, you know, not passive aggressive, but passive or dominant. Okay, that's that. And uh, in the sin, uh, Galatians or Genesis chapter three verse fourteen, uh, the one that Justin quoted yesterday, and he shall rule over you. That's an improper rule. Apart from Christ, we see this throughout the history of the world: men treating women inappropriately, not right. It's been so it's dominant. So there's this. Two masculine sins that are big category sins, and then there's a bunch of category sins that go under that, and and we understand, um, we understand that men have propensities, okay, like masculine sins, things that we naturally kind of struggle with, and uh, and we know those categories very very well because we speak to them pretty regularly. Uh, men typically desire respect and significance. You know, Larry Crabb had this really good line. If you get these four words in your mind, it can really help you in marriage counseling. It has for me anyways. Um, significance and security. Men want significance. Women want security. Love and respect. Ephesians 5. So uh, love and respect. You love a woman. Tip- typically women feel unloved and it's, it's harder for a man to show her love. And then men want respect and, and women want their husbands to earn respect. And so if they're not acting respectful, it's hard for them to respect. And then significance and security. And under those big four broad categories, you can fill up, you can kind of you know, fill in the gaps here, but there's a lot of marriage problems that can get sucked up into those big overarching categories. But we recognize that men and women are, diff- and are different and what we've been talking about the last few days. Uh, we know masculine sins, but what are feminine sins? What are some feminine sins? We can talk in broad strokes about men and it's welcomed. But as soon as you begin to talk about broad strokes about women, it's unwelcomed. And if we're not if we're not willing to walk into that, women will continue to be mistreated because it's mistreatment. It is mistreatment of women to not speak to particular areas that they struggle. We act as if, well, they just can't handle it or they're going to get mad. We actually act, we demonstrate a belief that we believe they're less than by avoiding speaking to feminine sins. We act as if they can't handle it. They can't handle what God has to say to them. So some feminine sins that the scriptures speak to, uh, Genesis, Titus type chapter Chapter two, uh, number one, women are more easily deceived than men, okay? 
that's just, uh, again, broad strokes. And, and the generalizations uh, with women, there's, this is where the tendency for everybody to want to say exactly what Joey said the other day. Well, I know this one guy or this one girl. Well, not all. Okay, got it. But, but women are more generally easily deceived. It's just, uh, it's just the way it is. It's the way the scriptures speak to. Uh, they're more prone to manipulation. Um, and there also is a desire for control. This is uh, a part of the fall of this wanting to do what Eve did, usurp that authority or step into those positions that were, they were not intended to walk in and to try to pull the strings behind what's going on to be the one really in control. And so uh, women have a tendency to, and a, a sin propensity to, want to control the man but trick the man to think that he's actually leading. So a, a woman will teach the man how to lead and think that she's actually positioning him to be a better leader. And, and that is not the path forward at all. So feminine sins, also uh, desire for control, gossip. Okay, First Timothy chapter 5, and speaking of younger widows, there's a, a list of sin propensities there that, that ladies need to be aware of, of being busybodies or gossips going back and forth. There's also a tendency for young women to... Uh, to a young widow was prone to marry an unbelieving man and so abandon the faith under a new household. And so she would go and she would give up certain things, like give up what, what she didn't have to get what she thought she could get, like security and protection, which is what a man was then. There wasn't civil authorities in the, in the same way there is, is today. So the household mattered, the protection mattered. So I can get some protection. All I have to do is abandon my faith. And so women were abandoning their faith and marrying men that could take care of them. Um, and so I think that as pastors, we need to be willing to identify, as we are with men, willing to identify feminine sins and then drive women to the gospel of Jesus in a very feminine way. Like, help them to be able to see, oh, like here's where my rebellion will grow roots. I will grow from this and this and this. This is the soil in which my particular sin grows. And then they're able to see how Jesus is not just the remedy of their sins, he's the savior of their sins. Like there's grace for them. And so ladies across this land, um, led by land by people who say they believe in the equality of women have preached to women as if they need no gospel at all because they speak to women as if they're already perfect. That's why Mother's Day sermons are all about how amazing moms are and women are. And you guys know the caricature of this, right? That you speak to men on Father's Day and you're like, you guys need to get in line. You need to be better and do better. And then on Mother's Day, there's a gift for every single mother. And we just are like, you women are amazing. We love you. Without you, nothing on earth could happen. Okay? So when we do that, when we treat women like that, we're actually, it's, it's like, a, it's, it's pandering. It's, it's like a, we're, we're being, um, what's the word? Not pandering. It's a, Condescending. It's condescending. It's, like, it's as if they don't need any gospel or can't understand the gospel or can't even recognize their own sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like they can't hand. It's just, it's just a way to avoid. And we mistreat them and we're condescending to them by not speaking to feminine sins and then pointing them to Jesus. The law and gospel applied to the ladies of our church. So I want to challenge you to take the kid gloves off and to preach the gospel to women. And to do that is to identify feminine sins and then be able to speak to it. And you're going to open yourself up to massive criticism if you do that. You just, you just be prepared for that. But it's another one of the things that Session 2 is trying to prepare us for. You're, you can continue to be condescending to women if you want by acting as if they can't handle what God says to them. 
So discipleship through preaching then, specifically, what are some ways, because we're not doing one-on-one discipleship, through Titus 2, and this is not the only passage, there's several passages. God says a lot of things explicitly to women, and I find myself wanting more things explicitly said, like, okay, God, why, why wouldn't you give us, like, give us more, like, throw us a bone and give us more things. Of, uh, I find myself wanting more prohibitions, even. Like, when, when God says, I don't, pro, uh, when I, like, First Timothy 2, I don't permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. If, again, if I had those prohibitions explicitly laid out to me, I'd be like, okay, good. Prohibitions, that's not, that's not a bad thing. It's a really good thing. Like, tell me some, give me some boundaries here and some markers here where I want to be aware of that I don't want to go in that way. Okay? Um, so, a, a feminine obedience to Jesus. How do we call out women to walk in their femininity? Okay? So, a couple things. First, you, you know, be willing when, we, when you get there, when you're preaching a passage, and you're, you're preaching a text on the gospel of Jesus, be willing to speak to that femininity the way God does. God models this in Titus 2 where he speaks to women. And so we can do this and apply it to them in particular ways in our sermons when we're preaching. When we do a series on manhood and womanhood every few years or something like that, you can preach through Titus chapter 2. You would be amazed how many women have not heard Titus chapter 2 ever preached. Never. Not a single time. They've heard about it, but they've never heard it preached. They've never heard text that God explicitly says to women ever. Not in a Mother's Day sermon, not in anything. They've just never heard it at all because we're so prone. We, pastoral ministry at large, we are so prone to, to just not want to go there. Okay? So within Titus 2, what are some things that we see? Okay? We read it the other day, so I'm not going to read the whole thing for the sake of time since we're doing two things here. But older women are to teach the younger women. They're to be reverent, to not be slanderous or uh, slaves to too much wine. So again, the, the word slanderous is there because there's a propensity for women to say slanderous things about other people. That's just there. That's slander. That's not true. That's a lie. That's taking something you've assumed or thought and either intentionally twisted it and spread false information, and that's not right. So that's a propensity there of slander, um, and that's still to this day. And then, uh, the, again, the specific things about wine, warnings about wine, uh, men who are alcoholics, it's, it's usually with alcohol that is, is not wine. Women typ- typically deal with wine. Teach what is good, and when we get a command to an older woman to teach what is good, here's the command, that, that women should be theologically sharp. They should be theological. If they're to teach, that means they have the knowledge to be able to teach it. They should know the scriptures and be able to teach it. And they shouldn't be teaching women. Well, when, when God says to uh, that I do not permit a woman to teach and exercise authority over a man, what that really means is a woman can teach and exercise authority over a man. A woman should know how to teach the scriptures. She should know the Bible and should be able to teach it to younger women. This is a call for the minds of women to be engaged. They have to think. They have to know theology. They, they need to know their Bibles. They need to be reading through their Bibles. They need to be challenged to do that because any woman is older than some other woman. You get that, right? At any point, no matter if a woman is 18 years old or 72 years old, she's older than somebody. And she needs to be able to teach somebody that's younger than her. She needs to teach what is good. And she needs to teach what is proper. She needs to train the younger women to be self-controlled to love their husband and children. Here, here's the deal. Um, love has always been like this, and it's this way in the scriptures. Love is, love is not a feeling, but love has feelings. Okay? Love, make, love is not a decision, but it makes decisions. When people say, well, love is a decision, not entirely. That's one side of it. Love makes decisions, but love is a whole lot more than decisions. I didn't, start, I didn't decide to love my wife. I just did. I just did. 
I mean, anybody here make a conscious decision to say, I'm going to be attracted to my wife? It was in here, and then you made decisions after what was going on in here. I didn't decide just, she's pretty. Um, I like the kind of woman Jordan is. I'm going to decide to have affections. Affections came first. And actually, just she's beautiful. So I, I saw her, and I was like, oh, my gosh. She's really cute. I want to get to know that girl. And because it was just inside first. So the, the feelings and decisions go together. And there's going to be times that the feelings are going to lead the decisions. And then other times decisions are going to bring back the feelings when it comes to love. Well, we, we make decisions at, by commitment and principle. I'm going to love this woman. It's the same with women. Okay, Our wives love us and our children. But there's times they need to be trained by older women how to love the children and their husband. There's specific ways that men need to be loved. And in the same way men struggle to love their wives in the way that the wife receives love, women struggle to love their husbands and their children in the ways that their husbands and children need to be loved at times in the life of a woman. So a woman's going to have to grow in her understanding of how to love her husband and her children. And she needs older women to be able to teach her how to do that. But if we don't ever speak to this, do you see how there's huge categories of life that are going to be missing to where women are not being discipled at all because the men shouldn't be decided. The men are all doing discipleships and then the ladies are over here doing retreats that are terrible, talking about crowns and princesses and how they're amazing and they're awesome all the time and they just need to understand their worth. Like, it's what every women's conference is. It's if you just knew your worth, girl, well, come on. You just got to know your worth. It's like the whole point of life is not knowing your worth. My goodness, the cross is not about your worth. Can we get over your worth and talk about the worth of Jesus? Like, Jesus is worthy. Love him. Like, we don't have to be all the time just thinking about ourselves. Narcissism is the virtue of the day. I hope you know that. And it thrives. Narcissism thrives in groups of women. And it doesn't look the same way as narcissism within men. It looks like an obsession with their worth over the obsession of the worth of Jesus. And you see this everywhere. It's like, you got to know your worth. you got to know your worth. you got to know your value. you got to know your value. Who you are in Christ and the in Christ is like really, really small. And the who you are, the fist is up. Who I am in Christ, you know? And it's like, well, what about Jesus? Like, no, 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 then me, me. So these are big, big things if we, if we don't speak to. Like, what we miss is husbands and children not being loved in the way they could if we spoke to the women of our church the way God speaks to the women of our church. And some of the problems that haven't exist in marriage in our churches, it, a massive port, right? The responsibility lies on the men. But the responsibility also lies to the pastor to disciple the women because children and men are not being loved in the way they could be loved because the older women are not training the younger women to do it. Does that make sense? Train younger women, self-controlled, pure, working at home. Now, remember, remember, this is more offensive to the modern ears than sending women to die for our country, working from home. Uh, the nobility has been just sucked away from through feminism. It's just been, if you want to waste your life, stay at home. Now, all, working outside of the home is not wrong for a woman, but if the home is neglected, it is wrong. It's sinful. The primary place, the primary place, not exclusive, the primary place for a woman is at home, and it's good, noble, honorable, amazing intellectual work for a woman to be primarily concerned with the home. The woman in, in Proverbs 31 was a businesswoman. She bought a field, she did all that she did, but if you'll notice, early in the chapter, she finds out what she's doing for her family is profitable, 
with the fabric she's making. And all, after her children are taken care of, she's not scared of the winter. She considers a field and buys it. She has great authority in the home to be able to go out and buy a field to be able to take care of her family. And then from the work she's doing from her family, she realizes, boy, this, this textile work that I have is really profitable. And if you'll notice this, she doesn't immediately start an Etsy account. She sits on it and she waits until a long time after, until the husband is taken care of, the kids are taken care of, and then she goes to the mercantile and says, here, and that merchant takes it overseas. Her, her fabric business and her company is so large that it, it needs to be exported. That's how, that's how talented the Proverbs 31 woman, but she waits on it. She doesn't immediately do it. She doesn't put her family at risk. Her children are prepared for the winter first, and then out of that, she has her business. She's a strong businesswoman, but her business doesn't have her heart. It just doesn't have her heart. She knows her calling. So work outside the home is not, is not, let me say this biblically, is not the primary place for a woman. It's secondary. Now there's going to be times when your kids go that the home can be taken care of and she can work full time. It's not an issue whatsoever. But to speak like this, my goodness, like if, if like all of America just heard me say all this, I would be shot by assassins. You know, like, because it just sounds so weird. Teaching to work from home, working from home. Um, now, uh, train, okay, working from home. And then uh, kind, there to be kind, meaning they have to be trained how to be kind. Okay. And then submissive to their own husbands. That is what the older women are teaching the younger women to do. And submission has to be taught. Submission has to be taught. And we're not going to be taught in the world how to be submissive. Submission is exclusively evil in our world, across the board. But here's the great glory. Everybody has to submit. It's a glory to submit to Jesus. It's a glory to submit uh, to elders and congregations. That's a really good thing. And it's glorious for a woman to submit to her husband. And in fact, if she fails to do so, the word of God is reviled. That's how serious of a matter it is. The word of God is reviled. And here's the thing. We have been encouraging women for as long as feminism has been going on and in churches across this land right now, we have been reviling the word of God by avoiding discipling women through the pulpit. Like we need to understand how big of a matter it is. To not address these things, it reviles the word of God. And we have theological systems that completely turn it upside down and end up telling women the exact opposite of what God tells women and says that that's a biblical thing and calls it biblical. Like, well, we take the Bible seriously. Really? Because you just said the exact opposite of what God says. Like, well, no, if you do this, 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 and this, and then if you see it this way and this cultural system and structure, well, then the proper application is none of that really matters. And actually, uh, this is women can do all the exact same things that feminism says women can do. Like, oh, okay. That's how... That's how biblical interpretation works. The word of God is reviled. So to do this, to preach to women, we haven't talked about 1 Timothy 5. If we had time, we would do that. Um, but notice, I think we need to notice that this is the way that women are discipled by the men, by the pastor of the church. Okay, pastors, are, Men of the church are going to be discipling their families and discipling their wife. And by proximity, they're going to be discipled also. God is going to disciple them through their wife and their children. But we're going to be discipling our families, so that's the way the women are going to be discipled. And the other way the women are going to be discipled are through the older women to the younger women, and then from the preacher through the preaching to women. 
And that's how ladies get discipled. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.